Good evening, dummies. Yes, I called you dummies. Don't take offense. Dummies are the don't unfriend me's, and you are a dummy if you're listening. It's not an insult. Welcome to Don't Unfriend Me, episode 277. It's going to be a fun night tonight. First, my name is Matthew Spear. I'm the host of Don't Unfriend Me. I created this little shindig so we can have a wonderful conversation. Remember, you can agree, you can disagree, you can love me, you can hate me, just don't unfriend me. You can find me at, at Don't Unfriend Me Show. And that's all the promotion I will do. You can also go to don'tunfriendme.com and pick up a t-shirt like this one. That's really cool. Now I'm done. Episode 277, we're talking about, I know the word, insurrection. It drives you crazy. You hate hearing it. We're going to have a conversation tonight. We've been online. It's one of my biggest online shows ever. We had almost 200 people on. We had almost 3,000 comments. This is a controversial topic. You're not going to like what I have to say, or maybe you will, but either way, I'm going to tell you the truth. That is what I'm going to try to do. I hope you stick around. I hope you watch. I hope you enjoy. Let's get to these brief words. You can go right here and fast forward to that minute mark if you want to skip this, but it is kind of a cool song and a cool uh, cool. Uh, intro, and I had Steven Spielberg do it, so you might want to go ahead. It cost me a lot of money. I'll be right back. Navy veteran Matt Spear presents Don't Unfriend Me. Brutally honest. Experience matters. Facts, not feelings. To the point. And always direct. No safe spaces. You can agree or disagree. You can love him. You can hate him. Just don't unfriend him. Sit back. Relax. Don't unfriend me starts right now. Well, thank you so much for coming on and watching. Let's get this show started. Should be a fun one. A little controversial. Remember, try and... To be gentle with me is all I ask. A day that shouldn't live in infamy. Remembrance or political theater, which one is it? I remember clearly the Senate Senate debate between John F. Kennedy and Richard Dixon for the presidency. And I'm really not that old, but I watched it several times in college debate and during reruns on the news. For the first time in the United States history, a debate between major party presidential candidates was shown on television. Kennedy emerged the apparent winner from this first of four televised debates, partly owing it to his greater ease before the camera than Nixon, who, unlike Kennedy, seemed nervous and declined to wear makeup, of all things. Nixon fared better in the second and third debates, and on October 21st, the candidates met to discuss foreign affairs in their fourth and final debate. Less than three weeks later, on November 8th, Kennedy won 49% of the popular vote in one of the closest presidential elections in U.S. history, surpassing a fraction of the 49.6% received by his Republican opponent, Nixon. It was the closest race in history, and it could have been because of the lack of preparedness of Nixon's team. I alluded to the lack of the makeup that Nixon refused, but it was more than that. Nixon failed on many levels that evening. He wore a lackluster brown suit along with a green tie, and this did not show up well on the TV set, and it made him appear sickly and diminutive in stature against Kennedy's slender, taller frame. Also, the backdrop of the set was almost the same color as the suit, so Nixon did not stand out at all, except for his slick back hair that lent to his already nervous and sticky appearance. It just added to the awkwardness. 
Lastly, he constantly wiped at his brow and lip under the unrelenting studio lights. Many think, including myself, that this created a delta for Nixon that he failed to come back from, since most of the electorate watched the first debate and the latter exponentially decreased in ratings as they increased in frequency. Good evening. The television and radio stations of the United States and their affiliated stations are proud to provide facilities for a discussion of issues in the current political campaign by the two major candidates for the presidency. The candidates need no introduction. The Republican candidate, Vice President Richard M. Nixon, and the Democratic candidate, Senator John F. Kennedy. According to rules set by the candidates themselves, each man shall make an opening statement of approximately eight minutes duration and a closing statement of approximately three minutes. In other words, political theater was born. Well, at least it came to adulthood in the analog world and began its journey into a digital one that day. The difference between then and now is that political theater was played for the audience's judgment and dissemination. It is now played for votes and a race to wokeness. There are those who maintain that the phrase political theater is meaningless because all theater... I'm sorry about that. Let's exit out of this. That is a glitch. Good evening. And I'm sorry. There are those who maintain that the phrase political theater is meaningless because all theater is political. I would be the first to agree. Since the core of theater is the live performance of social conflict before a live audience, its political nature is obvious. Directly or indirectly, theater, which among other things is a social gathering, explores rules of behavior, social relations, and the uses of transformations of power. That said, there has been over the last 150 years or so a historical basis for specifically labeling some theater political. Since the emergence of the socialist movement in the mid-19th century, there has existed a current within theater that self-consciously explored rules of behavior, social relations, and the uses and transformations of power from the perspective of trying to change them. And no matter if you think that if all politics are theater or not, we can all certainly agree that virtue signaling and false outrage may have entered into the medium and has increased the level of proclivity to be nothing more than stage drama personified through your LCD panel. Now, before I begin, I know this will ruffle a few feathers. I'm fairly confident that I may lose a few viewers on both sides. And in the end, that is the opposite of what the show tries to convey. But alas, this topic is an emotional one, and I will do my best not to think harshly of you if you leave as long as you try to do the same. In the end, c'est la vie. Don't let the door hit you where the good Lord splits you. So here it goes. It was, by definition, an insurrection. Now don't give me any crap, just listen to me. First, let's define insurrection. Violent uprising against authority or government. Is it your belief there was no violence involved to stop the certification of Biden? What was the purpose of trying to beat down doors to get in? Don't even start with the defense that they let them in. We are not talking about the idiots who followed. We're talking about the group that threatened and intended to smash their way through the barricaded doors. How about attacking police, trying to rip off the gas mask of an officer pinned in the door? What was their purpose to get in? 
Does the chant, hang Mike Pence, complete with noose and scaffold, equal peaceful tour of the building? How about Secret Service barricading doors with guns drawn? Every day, tour, demonstration? Your idea lacks common sense to see it. The definition of insurrection was met. Again, what was the tourist's ultimate goal in entering the building and trying to force their way into the chambers? None of you really know, and when someone shows you who they are, believe them. Now, I will address more of this later, and it might seem to contradict what I just said, but legal definition is different than written definition. I do not condone the actions of people who went in with intent to harm, detain, postpone, or thwart any process. I don't care if you think it was stolen. I don't care if you think it was Antifa or the FBI posing and instigating the event. I don't care about charges not relating to an insurrection. I don't care about BLM and what they did. I have spoken up or against these things, and we are not talking about that. We are talking about an insurrection by the very definition of the word. And for any one of you to defend the actions that happened on January 6th, you need to take a long, hard look at your own ideological entrenchment before casting aspersions on others, because you may as well be looking in a mirror. It was abhorrent, it was useless, and it was stupid. So there, I spoke my piece about this. There are hundreds of lines of delineation we can draw between the examples from the left doing far worse things, and we will get there. But stop defending these morons and get with the program. Being a patriot and being an idiot with a cause are not the same thing. And nothing I saw on January 6th reminded me anything of patriotism or what we expect from our fellow citizens. You want to overthrow the government? Good luck. It's there waiting for you. Stop pontificating and go get them. What are you waiting for? Of course you are waiting for others to lead so you can follow. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Now there is another side to this coin and one that needs to be addressed. Liberals, will you please shut up about the attempt of a coup and overthrow of our government? Who are you kidding? You didn't say anything about the 184 riots that destroyed our cities and burned down businesses, over $2 billion to $3 billion in damages, and that is just what was claimed. Dan Bongino says it best, Democrats love to change the rules when they're losing the game. Now, Kamala Harris will be addressed in a moment, but here are the attacks and the violence or destruction that has been directed towards the Capitol in the past. Fire damages, the U.S. Capitol during the War of 1812, congressional violence erupting during the lead-up to the Civil War. On July 2, 1915, a former German professor, Harvard, Eirich Munter, planted a package containing three sticks of dynamite in the Capitol near the Senate reception room. On March 1, 1954, four Puerto Rican Americans fired guns in the House of Representatives, injuring five congressmen. On March 1, 1971, a bomb exploded in the Capitol building. While the explosion did not injure anyone, it caused more than 300,000 in damage. Don't forget the anteroom chambers in center floor where the confirmations of Kavanaugh and Coney Barrett were breached several times with vile threats and acts of political theater portrayed by liberals. All of these instances were perpetrated by liberals. Well, except for the War of 1812, and let's face it, royalty from England is just as bad as leftist extremists. Well, maybe not that bad. None of these excuse what happened on January 6th, but can we stop pretending that this was the worst thing to happen to our democracy ever? The real threat is when the following stop happening. 
And I'm here to say that we are long overdue to lose this great country and all she stands for if it continues. In a democracy, one can propose and discuss virtually any idea, even if it's initially unpalatable to the government. Debate may reveal the idea to be the best solution, whereas in a dictatorship, the idea would not have gotten debated and its virtues would not have been discovered. In a democracy, citizens and their ideas get heard. Hence, without democracy, people are more likely to feel unheard and frustrated and to resort to violence. Compromise is essential to a democracy. It enables us to avoid tyranny by the majority or, conversely, paralysis of government through vetoes exercised by frustrated minority. In a modern democracy, all citizens can vote. Hence, government is motivated to invest in all citizens who thereby receive the opportunity to become productive rather than just a small dictatorial elite receiving that opportunity. Does that sound like anything resembling our country today? It doesn't. That is why democracy, given the prerequisites of an informed electorate and a basic sense of common interest, is the best form of government, at least better than all the alternatives that have been tried as Winston Churchill quipped. Our form of government is a big part of the explanation why the United States has become the richest and the most powerful country in the world. Hence, an undermining of democratic processes in the United States means throwing away one of our biggest advantages for the rest of the world. Unfortunately, that is what we are now doing in four ways. First, political compromise has been deteriorating in recent decades and especially in the last five years. Second, the media machine has sown division and derision towards the political process and generated a sense of hopelessness and despair about our system of government. And although the sentiment might be accurate, the consistent bias and finger pointing to the other sides is causing a rift in the citizens of our country and a misaligned target on the respective parties' backs. Third, money in politics. There is nothing more detrimental to a democratic republic than greed, power, and legal bribery. In 1816, Thomas Jefferson wrote, I hope we shall crush in its birth the aristocracy of our moneyed corporations, which dare already to challenge our government to a trial of strength and bid defiance to the laws of our country. Lastly, the political theater that has now become more than pomp and circumstance like a well-worn suit or applied makeup. I'm talking about using tragedy and bereavement to line the pockets of the elite with political capital. Today, our Vice President of the United States demonstrated why she is single-handedly the dumbest horse's ass to ever hold the office. Without so much as a pause of reflection or guffaw as the words escaped her lips, our resident idiot encanted the following. Fellow Americans, good morning. Certain dates echo throughout history, including dates that instantly remind all who have lived through them where they were and what they were doing when our democracy came under assault. Dates that occupy not only a place on our calendars, but a place in our collective memory. December 7th, 1941, September 11th, 2001, and January 6th, 2021. 
January 6th left five people dead, dozens more injured. And yes, I fervently agree that this was as a bad of a situation and was improperly handled to begin and end with. But she compared that to the 9-11 terrorist attack that killed almost 3,000 Americans and the assault on Pearl Harbor in 1941. In the Pearl Harbor bombing, more than 2,400 Americans lost their lives. Now, I want to be the harshest critic I can because these comments are not only devoid of any intelligence, but they are based on emotion and unbridled rage. Now, I haven't confirmed this at the time of writing this, but a contact I have who is close to the situation has told me that Kamala Harris was evacuated on January 6th from the DNC due to a pipe bomb incident. I have added this to the final show. That is confirmed, and the news has been dropping for about an hour now in regards to confirming the story about Kamala Harris. The timeline says that Capitol Police and the Secret Service evacuated an unarmed protectee at approximately 1.14 p.m. Seven minutes later, the four people, among them the White House official and a former law enforcement official, confirmed that Harris was the Secret Service protectee identified in the timeline, which has circulated on Capitol Hill for some time. Now, it becomes more clear after hearing this news, it doesn't excuse her ill-informed and completely dispassionate proclamations, but it helps you understand that she is emotionally invested in this event, and this obviously completely unhinged her to make calculated and level-headed comments on the public stage. Let's be clear, the Democrats and Biden administration are failing and flailing, and not just at a couple of critical focus, but everything they do. This entire event from Remember 1-6 to the candlelight vigils today that had no candles present is all political theater and a way to garner sympathy from the mass public. Biden used the stage to make political hacks at Donald Trump, and they tried to lure him into losing his cool. It was all so plastic and completely false. As they used hating Trump to justify their run in 2020, they're now going to use the insurrection to hang on every Republican's neck in an effort to salvage any of their seats that are all up for grabs. Mitch McConnell and Ted Cruz also are playing and pulling the strings of their marionettes to perform the song and dance at the Liberals' tune. It is all so contrived. It is all so fucking phony. They can't impeach Trump anymore, so they may as well make it look like they have any hope of tying this to him and bar him from running again, ever again. Who can't see that, that this is what this is about? The design of all this is truly that. It has nothing to do with the threat of a reoccurring January 6th or the possibility of thwarting democracy. That is as much lunacy as those that think Trump is coming back to power and will execute the traitors from the stolen election. The real issue is we are being led by fearful people, or the fact that these people are not our leaders at all. They are our representatives, and they work for us. Designating the Capitol riot as an insurrection by the rule of law is absurd, even by the high standards of sophistry we've come to expect from the left. Most riots, whether they are directed against hunger, job cuts, racism, environmental damage, or fraudulent elections, have a political dimension, but that doesn't mean they are all insurrection. By the letter of the law, insurrections are in fact incredibly rare, especially in free Western democratic societies. 
For rioters to be insurrectionists, they must have a concrete goal to seize or overthrow part of the machinery of government. But it's clear that those who stormed the Capitol on January 6th had no more of a planned objective than the BLM mobs who smashed and burnt retail businesses last summer and were cheered on by Democrats as they did so, especially Kamala Harris, who bailed out and raised money for rioters. Is she an insurrectionist too? In retrospect, it now seems clear that the Democrats who have talent for misrepresenting events for their own purposes used the riot in the same way Adolf Hitler used Reichstag fire in 1933 as an excuse to persecute their political opponents for domestic terrorism. If ascribing this motive to all Democrats is too harsh, I would argue that those not guilty of such cynicism are nevertheless guilty of dramatizing and romanticizing a squalid riot into an insurrection attempt. Of course, some outbreaks of violence in senatorial or parliamentary buildings have been insurrections. You could call the stabbing of Julius Caesar in a meeting of the Roman Senate in 44 BC an insurrection because it was planned and had a purpose to remove a man whose power seemed to threaten the Republic. But the crowd in Washington on January 6th had no plan that we are aware of. They traveled there in enormous numbers to show how angry they were that voting norms and safeguards had been cast aside like refuse. A small number from this gigantic peaceful crowd were guilty of trespass and violence and will no doubt receive whatever punishment fits their crime or whatever the government wants to do. The Democrats always look to milk any event for propaganda against Trump. They have endlessly lied about how Trump never condemned the white supremacists who marched in Charlottesville in 2017 for one example. He did condemn them. And if Lincoln or FDR had said what Trump said about Charlottesville, their words would have been memorialized in chiseled stone and embroidered in gold lettering. Go read it sometime. Trump cannot be criminally charged for an insurrection attempt because no insurrection attempt took place, nor can he be charged for the riot because he didn't plan it, take part in it, or encourage it. You can stage all the political theater you want. You can use the literal meaning to objectify and quantify anything you want, but the law is a different matter. And just because you say something like Trump led an insurrection or that Pearl Harbor or 9-11 and now January 6th should live in infamy doesn't mean it is true. Because half-truths are half-lies, and for some reason we are focused on the brown suit and green tie and the lack of makeup, and not looking at the character of the man or woman in front of us. That is why we are all being duped to make something that has no business being associated with two of the most horrific events in U.S. history, just like they have tried to align Trump with the very worst in history with the likes of Adolf Hitler and the KKK. It is all stage theater, folks. And it's time for all of us to stand up and walk the hell out. Folks, that's it for my show tonight. Thank you for watching Don't Unfriend Me. I appreciate it. That's the end of 276, or actually 277. Tomorrow is 278. It is Red Friday. Make sure you wear your red. Remember everyone deployed. We're going to have one of the Wright brothers here. They are an amazing talent. It should be a great show live with Leroy, Amy, and Edward. Please stop by. I'll make sure I throw a link your way. If you would do me one favor, I'm going to go out like I always do on the Veteran Crisis Hotline, 1-800-273-8255-PRESS-1. Traumatic brain injury, stress, anxiety, depression are all real things. Please do me a favor, reach out to a vet. If you can't, reach out to me. I'll make the call with you. If you can't do that, stop by my site at don'tunfriendme.com and give me 
a chance to help a veteran by calling that number. If you have any questions, I'm always open to answer any of them. Remember, it's completely anonymous. And if you are not a veteran, they will never turn you away. People live, great to see so many on. I'll be right back to answer some of your comments. Remember, you can join me at 8.30 Eastern every night. I'll see you tomorrow at that time. Have a wonderful and God bless.